welcome to Las Doctoras podcast. Led by our intuition, we are creating space for conversations, asking critical questions, and interrogating the oppressive systems of power we live in. We are your hosts. I am Dr. Renee Limas, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a Cancer sun and moon with Pisces rising, mother of water. I am Dr. Christina Rose, pronouns she, they, Virgo sun, Aquarius moon, Gemini rising, mother of earth. We are grounded in a connection to ancestral wisdom. Our work is to heal the wounds of generational trauma that is of white male and cis hetero supremacy, all while we create a way of being that celebrates, truly revels in the joy of our families and our community. Join us on our journey, not toward perfection, but into reflection, immersed in compassionate self-awareness and courageous action. Come, sit at our kitchen table, sip on some tequila with us, and let's change our world. Salud! Hello! Welcome, welcome. We're so excited to be here with you again, and we have a brief announcement So we um, are going to be, yeah, if you listened to our first episode of this new season, we were talking about some of the conversations that we hope to have this season. And then we had this opportunity that presented itself to us to really begin to explore, um, explore the topic of death and grief. And it was quite, you know, supernatural uh, and, <laughs> and magical, I think, um, you know, both having Anna Castillo come and speak to us in our book club on her book of the dead and then having a couple um, create another creative partnership reach out to us t- to ask for our advice. And they also were um, death doulas and grief activists. Oh, yes, yes. And so it was, and we felt that that was timely given coming up to Dia de los Muertos, you know, and um, even for me, the anniversary of my father's death is in November. So it just all feels very timely to explore this conversation. So we're just going to roll with it. We just, yeah, we're like, let's do it. Let's roll with it. So Um, Yeah, in the next few episodes, you'll hear our uh, our conversation with Ana Castillo, who was um, we read her book in our book club and we had the honor of having her come and talk to us, which, by the way, she her son reached out to us. And and we were a able. Dreamy, a dream. It was a dream. Yeah. So Come yeah. Through. So we were just super honored. Um, we both have worked with her in different capacities, but also have been a fan of her work. We teach her work, so it just it felt really amazing to to talk with her and then to have her talk with our book club members. Um, so quick plug for our book club. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, if you join our book club, you might get to talk to uh, 
talk to the authors of the books that we read Mm -hmm. which speaking of i think we can announce our next next book book is like water for chocolate oh my god and we've got some fun things planned for that so if you want to join our book club you can go to las doctoras l-a-s-d-r-a-s dot com slash book club to join our book club and then after that episode we have a conversation with meso um and as i was saying before they're um a partnership that works to um really create ceremony and community around death mm-hmm. pre in and post mm-hmm. and in doing so reclaiming some of our our ancestral gifts mm-hmm. that's how i would say it. and you can really hear in that episode our hearts and i think that's also why we're in this you know and while we, we will also be recording um an episode where we talk about our grief because something we we do we haven't maybe talked about it in our podcast but you know the connection with those our beloved dead is is really important to both Renee and I so yeah so we're actually going to be releasing like three episodes this month (laughs) (laughs) so look forward to lots of conversations that we're having and um and then yeah lots more to come this season so enjoy welcome yes so yeah so thank you everyone for coming um did you go? Did you say anything, Christina? Yeah, I'm like, introduce yourself. <laughs> Christina, you know, my son Jaguar is here. He's on a podcast. It's raining. So soccer got canceled. You know, this is the, this is how we roll in this, in this space. And, um, and I'm so glad we're back into the fall. So yeah, Christina, the other half, other half of Las Doctoras, um, I kind of want to meet everyone, but we're going to do that afterwards. Right. That's what we said. <laughs> yeah. So the, plan if anyone um i think you i think you all put it up on the muddy networks but um anaka Steele is coming in at 5 45 and she's going to be with us for about an hour and then we'll all stay on after to yeah to introduce each other get to know each other and um so yeah just welcome all the new people into this space um yeah and i i I want to say just a little bit about Ana Castillo. So it's, yeah, we're going to be fangirling. <laughs> I feel like anytime we've invited um, the authors as guests. So for those of you who are new, we've, we've had the pleasure of inviting how many of our authors, at least four or five. We had Sonia Renee Taylor. We had Aida Salazar, Maria Hinojosa. Oh, that's, that's right. And then and maybe I, that maybe that was it because then we invited Leslie. Um, there's one. Yeah, more. we've had we've had other guest speakers and Nessa Turkessa. Yeah, we've had other guest speakers, but um, I know that I get extra nervous when the authors come. <laughs> we worked with Anna before. We both had like some. Yeah, but still, it's Anna. It's Anna fucking Castillo. Anna Castillo. Right? I know. Yeah, um, so, so uh, yeah, so we're really excited to have her. Oh, and she like. She kind of contacted us. So that was, that's what makes this all special too. I think through her, through her son or something like that. Um, Yeah, she reached out to us, which was super exciting. So 
We're excited. Well, um, I guess briefly, how did you all like the book? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what we should do at least right now is um, if you all want to type into the chat where you're coming to us from. It's kind of oh, cool yeah. to to have a sense of where ev- everybody's coming from. I love um, it. We stay surprised with people coming us to us from like all over the place. Mm-hmm. LA, Fresno, Austin, Playa Vista. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And then I want to know how everyone found us too in so many ways. Um, you don't, you can, we can talk about that later, but if you want to pop in the chat, that'd be good. Um, so it looks like there were some, um, uh, not last minute, but like more recent, well, I guess last minute questions on Mighty Network. So I'm going to uh, be pulling those up while um, okay. we'll wait for Anna. Is she coming at 5.45? Is that the- Yeah, she's coming at 5.45, according okay, and to our correspondence. And her. Stephanie will hopefully pop in. Uh, she's on East Coast, so she's putting yeah. the link down. So hopefully we'll catch her in a little you bit. You know what, let me, um, so Lisa, or should I, let me see if I can give both of you um, co-host status so they can status so yeah so if you see somebody come in and we don't let's see it's a lot of los angeles people this is awesome i mean we're from la so this is the do i not see you media where are you i'm curious is this anyone's first time in a book club oh there you are okay Oh, we have two first-time book clubbers. Amber, I'm also yeah. very, I'm also very nervous because uh, it's very much out of my comfort zone. <laughs> like, oh. I'm very much a, um, I'll turn, I'll turn it off just because my husband's passing by and I know he gets a little camera shy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just a little like, I don't know. I feel like I'm really uh, trying something different, which uh, is just weird but super exciting too. So. Um, yeah. yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Awesome. So glad. Yeah, Renee's um husband walked by like <laughs> earlier. Uh, yeah. It's like, hey, Tommy. Just as long as they don't pass by in the twenties. Like, is it my husband? Yeah, my husband did walk by without a shirt on. I'm like, hello. <laughs> but yeah, my kids are at soccer practice, so. But they will be coming in at some point. We'll see. It is so fun to see some new, new faces. I'm like, Amber, how did you find us? Oh, I want to ask all these questions, but I can't later, later, later. So, um, well, you're going to hear us talk about it. I'm like, oh, where do I even? We just play some music and just chill out for a second. Yeah, we should just like drop into our bodies. Does that sound like a good practice right now? Yes. Yes. Um, Maria. Okay, I'm gonna um, play another song and um, oh, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's do it, yep. I got some little Nas coming. <laughs> I seem like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm 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 like
And been out in a while anyway. Was hoping I could you know why I put this on the playlist, right? Because you mentioned him in the in the uh intro for the I have a hypothesis that book lovers can turn up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that people probably think like, ah, oh, no, I'm like, ah, oh, book lovers can turn up. So maybe that's a future research project. <laughs> I agree. I love it. Oh, okay. I'll I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back a little. <laughs> Don't ask my sister about my DJ skills to this day. Christina, <laughs> when you said we're gonna drop down into our bodies, I was I was expecting this, and then you popped up with that. Turn up. <laughs> I was like, wow. It's like I thought you were gonna. That's how I've already uh, been up. Huh? I guess that's the moment. Not yet. <laughs> I needed to step in. Need the like, shock laugh. Yeah, right. I needed I know, to step in laughter, and now I feel like I really need to step into it. I mean, we're talking about my book of the dead, you know? Yes, I know. I cried a lot today, actually. Today's the um, my birthday of my abuela. So, this song, the La Llorona song, oh my gosh. I know, this is a good cover though you found, or whoever found that. I know, so Lisa found that one. We can share the playlist with y'all too. Um, this is from our St. Lunita. Um, recent. Oh, Ana Castillo's entered the waiting room. <laughs> Okay, are we ready? Are we ready? Hold on. We're ready. I'll keep the music going for just a little bit. Okay, I posted the playlist there. <sighs> All righty, here we go. I do, I should have had a shot. Damn it. Okay. <clears throat> Admitted. Hi, Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Let's see. I know. How many do we have today? I'm like. I think there's 13 with with all of us. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 14. Yeah. You make our well. Show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here, Anna. I'm I'm Renee Christina. Hola, <laughs> doctora. Yeah. Hola, congratulations, doctora. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Congratulations to you on your new book. Thank you, thank you. We're so, so happy to have you here, and we're all just a little fangirling. I think at the moment. <laughs> Just so excited to have you in our space. Thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for reading and 
uh, for choosing reading as, a, as an activity to do and for choosing my book to read. Um, I'm, I'm very honored. Uh, as you know, the book just has just come out and some of these poems um, weren't seen by anybody, you know, short of, you know, maybe the editor just before they came out. So you're really brand new readers <laughs> to It feels quite magical to get um, to get these copies um, and to have them come from DD through the you know through UNM's um, and it's 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 such a beautiful oh I don't know if a beautiful is the word such a um, a strong dramatic strong, strong <laughs> dramatic. yeah dramatic yeah, yeah that was that was the 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 press's designer um, that came up with that but. When I saw it, I, I, I felt it was appropriate. I was okay with it when they showed mm -hmm. it to me. They always ask the author, not that they're gonna change it, you know, <laughs> sometimes they'll say like, you know, well, we like it. <laughs> so, but anyway, I thought it was appropriate. So I thought, yeah, it kind of looks like these times, so. Yeah, I think um, before we get into the book though, we did want to, yeah, just kind of have a moment to acknowledge some of your previous work for us because we, um, you know, as as professors, as scholars, you know, coming to I I have to say, when I read Massacre of the Dreamers, that really shifted a lot for me, particularly um, uh, I think Saintly Mother Soldiers Whore, which I still. Uh, a sign <laughs> on my on my syllabi um you know in talking um I, we both teach in gender studies and women and gender studies and i also teach in um chicana studies as well uh -huh. um and so when we talk about like la Virgen and uh, there it is massacre of the dreamer that was a big a, um you know for me growing up catholic and la Virgen being a really big um symbol in my life my mother's name is Guadalupe right so <laughs> she's a big symbol for me and then I think when I was I was doing my master's in Chicano studies and kind of really diving deep into colonization at the hands of the Catholic Church and for me it was a moment of like what do I do with that realization but also my love for La Virgen and in reading that chapter in particular, it all allowed me to make sense of it, you know, that I could still love her by reimagining her, you know, and, and we, Christine and I talk a lot about that and, um, and what that means to see her as, as a goddess and, and so on and so forth. But I think, um, and then Christina um, still signs so far from God, right? I think. I do. I do it in um, many of my classes, um, but I, I teach a witch class. So we both teach in the Cal State University systems. Um, and then we have our podcasts and the book club and our writing courses outside of that. And all of your works like, you know, is impacted, um, comes into play with the, all of those pieces. But so far from God, which I assign to my students as the one novel in the class, because I think it um, helps them just imagine a world where magic, you know, is, is, is possible, but also magic in the face of great trauma, you know, too. So um, they certainly kind of come together, you know, <laughs> in a way, in a way for me. You know, it's a recurrent theme in my work, in other words. 
Um, I wanted to just backtrack a minute um, about uh, the the Virgen Guadalupe and the new and Massacre of the Dreamers. I don't know if you're if you have the um, 20th anniversary edition of the book. It's oh, um, it came out in 2014, also through the University of New Mexico Press. That is the the publisher of the the original um, uh, edition 20 years ago. Now it's 20 five years ago and but uh, in that uh, in that edition I um, added an addendum called the real and true meaning of the Virgen de Guadalupe and it has in there um, an essay from research that I did in the more recent years leading up to that edition on the real and true meaning of the Virgen de Guadalupe you know I was really looking for her and looking for her and I was trying to work on another book and I you know, I get sidetracked by my own, you know, curiosity. And so that that essay was uh, received the Gloria Saldua uh, Independent Scholar Award with the American Studies uh, Association. And I um, decided to include it as, as part of this book as something, you know, added to it or more recent. I was very, I also presented it at, um, I think it's the Association of Women and Mythological studies. ASWM, Men yeah. um, in Mythology. Yeah. They were very excited about it. I was too, because I, I had not, again, I often work um, alone and I don't share work until I put it out there. So it was really wonderful the way they received that research. So I welcome you to, you know, to order it for your libraries or, or at your schools and um, to take a look at it and, and see what you think. Let me know. Um, and uh, maybe share it with your with your students. But you know, yeah. after so much so much thinking and so much research, it's like, hello out there. Is anybody is anybody reading? Is anybody you know? Uh, uh, is there any feedback? So so it's always nice to me for me to hear about you know when people yeah. say like what you just said and what you're saying now. You know, after 30 years with that book, that it's that's that it still resonates with oh, your yeah. students. And I think that's what we wanted to even ask you about is how do you see some of those, you know, that original work of yours still being relevant, you know, to today? Like, how, how do you see, you know, sort of your the trajectory of your work? Yeah, it's, you know, obviously it's very gratifying and um, I, I don't. I don't think about it that much unless I'm having a conversation with someone that says I assigned it to my class or, or um, I run into someone that says something like, uh, uh, you know, Massacre of the Dreamers Changed My Life or the Miskewala Letters, which is even prior to that. I started writing my first novel in the 70s when I was, you know, just out of college and um, I was just like, Phil, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a writing student, a literature student. I just felt this need to, to communicate this perspective. And so I never, I, I never expected, for example, the Miskewala letters to ever be published, much less 35, 40 years later, being a compendium at a you know, major publisher that distributes everywhere. Uh, Massacre of the Dreamers was an even harder project and I did have several moments finishing this research in which I thought, again, um, it, it wasn't going to get published. Um, you know, uh, 
the University of New Mexico Press uh, had an editor that asked me if I had something. And when I showed it to her, you know, the university presses have a policy where they send out for anonymous peer reviews. And I got the first review was somebody that said I had written a litany of hate. And, you know, I just like lost it. I lost it all over. I was in, in New Mexico and Albuquerque and I was just like, you know, I'll never write again. And I was just, you know, trying to give it to somebody who actually was teaching somewhere here. You could put your name on it, you know. So, you know, so, so for today, uh, when people say that, it, it means a lot to me because what I write, whether it's poetry or nonfiction um, or uh, a novel, really comes from what I need to write at that time. You know, mm -hmm. when they ask, you know, they always ask uh, at readings and book signings, you know, they always ask a writer, you know, who's your audience? Who do you think your audience is? And the truth of the matter is, it's always been someone who looks exactly like me. Mm -hmm. And of course, over the years, she gets older, you know, and she's living in a new time and now even a new century. So hello, I'm writing in now in the 21st century. But, you know, uh, in, in the latter half of the 20th century, I was addressing those issues. But I always wrote for someone that was exactly like me because that's what I'm looking for. That's what's missing in my love of literature is missing um, uh, someone who is coming from that perspective. And so I put it down on paper and you take a huge risk because, you know, it's not like I go out and take a survey you know, how many Chicanas or Mexican women or Latinas are out there, you know, agreeing with me. I just feel like this is something I have to say. So it's always been a risk, you know. And when the, when the times have come where people say, well, do you feel that you represent Latinas? You represent Chicanas? <laughs> well, of course I don't represent all Chicanas and not all women of Mexican background call themselves Chicanas either. Uh, you know, just like all women who are independent uh, don't call themselves feminists, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many complexities with those definitions. So anyway, um, yes, it does. You know, I, I'm more critical. I'm probably more critical than anybody of my work. And I, I have some criticisms about Massacre of the Dreamers uh, that was, you know, I began writing it in the mid 80s during a whole different time in this country and a different time for uh, feminism and a different time, especially for women of color. Um, and also before the internet and this wonderful media that we have that you can just Google you, anything, you know, oh, I can't remember the name of that actor in that movie that I saw 10 years ago. Oh, there it is. You know, mm -hmm. here it's like, who could I call that saw that movie 10 years ago? So. <laughs> So, uh, you know, at that time I had ideas and I had theories, but where do I go to, to mm -hmm. con confirm it or affirm it? So um, I did my best and I, you know, without excuses, I didn't have uh, funding. I had no fellowship, um, uh, any kind of support for that, except moral support, you know, other Chicanos going, yes, you can do it. Um, so uh, I did my best with it. And I think it pretty much it holds but there are a few things that change now that if you're 18 years old today, you would say, well, no, that's completely off. But that's because you weren't around 30 or 40 years ago when when people had a different perspective. So mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful that um, that it still uh, resonates with women. And it means a great deal to me 
um, when occasionally I am someplace or like tonight where um, a, a woman will say to me, this book changed my life, you wow. know, because I know that it, they mean it, you know, because yeah. it would have changed my life had I, had I been able to find <laughs> it and read it myself. So I've been writing the things that I feel I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when I read So Far From God, I was I was in the middle of grad school, English, English writing full of white men, you know, this and, and it was just like shocking and and just just everything I needed. So I, re- I think, Renee, and I really relate to wanting to speak to the needs of our community and the needs of our of ourselves and expressing what we um, what we what we want in the world, what we want for um, our families and also how much we need community to do that. It's interesting. Um, we're grateful to really have each other and to have this community. And, um, and yet we know that often the writing process takes place you know, in that solitude, in that sacred solitude. And I, it's wonderful to hear you speak to those details. We also really related to having sons or, you know, children who are very strong in their boy sonness. We're we're so we're coming to a conversation. We're having lots of conversations about that. And there were certain, of course, um, parts of your book that really we really connected to. And um, I thought I would just mention a couple of them, of course, when snow turns to rain and it is still winter where in particularly, I loved how you said God made us strong, this thing called mother. Um, There is in this poem and maybe in your homage to Akila, a real sense of what the mothering journey has been like for you. And and we are only, you know, we have are the mothers of uh, six-year-olds and eight, right? Cruz is eight. Yeah. I have a a six and an eight-year-old son. Yeah. And I mean, this is a rather personal question. um, But, you know, as we read this, as you're speaking as a mother of an adult son, and it was your son who reached out to us, which was so interesting. Yes. yes. God God bless him. Yes. He he (laughs) took it upon himself. He's like, oh, they want to do a podcast. They want to do it. And I said, who? He's like, all these people want to do an interview. And I said, who? Oh. And then he's told me, and I said, well, how do they know? And he said, oh, I put the word out. So. I love it. There's such a, I mean, in in these poems, there is such a grief, you know, a, a sadness, a grief, also a longing and a strength. Um, and then, of course, on the in, the in the liveness of our lives, there is this, you know, social network and your son talking with us. I why you know what i'm trying to like articulate this question around what what brings this the son the mother to this book for you why was that why was that important in a book of the dead well a a whole lot of things the last book that i that i published is is black dove uh, paloma negra and it's uh the subtitle is mama mijo and me uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a memoir. It was published by the Feminist Press. I was laying low, pretty low, again, uh, writing in a kind of an isolated way. Uh, my son is my closest blood relative. I don't keep in touch with you know, many um, uh, 
uh, of my family of origin, you know, some cousins are growing up, they're busy with their lives. But um, so he's everything. I mean, I've worked, you know, to raise him, to put him up, bring him upright and so on. And I addressed um, some of, uh, you know, my experience with him. And also the fact that um, he is a father himself. He has a 13-year-old uh, child. And um, so I think I also address a little bit of that in that book. I've taught memoir. I was teaching memoir writing, you remember, for about 10 years from 2009 to 2019 to the public at various different groups, academic, non-academic, and um, I had, you know, all the prescriptions for how to write memoir, but when it comes down to write your own memoir, then you have to <laughs> learn how to walk your talk. So that's what I did with, with that book, uh, Black Dove, in which I had to sit down and say, okay, remember all the things you said? And I have an essay in there about uh, Marcelo at that time. And I did one of my own exercises that I've assigned, which was using the five stages of grief. Now, grief isn't always about uh, death. There are different deaths, of course, as we know, and different resurrections and returns from the dead and new taking on new life and all kinds of symbolisms around that. Um, and uh, I, I use that because I was grieving uh, at that time over uh, my son because, um, you know, he has gone, you know, as a brown man, um, he has struggled a great deal, like many brown men in our society and in the world. And, uh, and in, in my, the, uh, the overlap to that were the first poems for, uh, that became my book of the dead. And so the poem, um, when, when snow, snow Turns to Rain was written in 2012, and Black Dove, I believe, came out in 2016. 2016. So, uh, so it's, there's an overlap to that. And overlap to that comes, begins to come to the forefront, to the public eye, uh, these uh, horrific random killings of, of uh, African-American people in this country that, you know, yeah. the public begins to, you know, at least public with, consciousness begins to rise up. And one of them is Trayvon Martin. And it was when, in fact, I was grieving about my son um, when I heard on the radio in my house, I used to listen at that time, religiously to NPR in the morning until I got too depressed. And so I, heard, I remember I was putting on my, my tennis shoes or something and I bent over and I, I'm hearing about that. And, of, and a, in that moment, I remember, uh, I'm thinking about my son, I think about this young man's mother, and I can't even imagine, I, just my head just started to spin. Um, and so in those years, we are all hearing about uh, men and as, as fathers, as, as our sons, as our brothers, as our neighbors, as our friends, as our boyfriends, our lovers, um, that are not safe for other reasons that women are not safe the moment they walk outside our door. The poem about Akilah Oliver was um, 
took, took fruition in 2011, which again is overlapping this period of time. And um, while I'm living in this, with this isolation and this grief, I saw on Facebook um, her, for, you know, apparently former students of hers, they were, like, they were saying, oh my God, Akila Oliver died today. Oh my God, she was this, oh this and that. And then I thought, you know, I had never heard of her. And so I thought, who's Akila Oliver? I mean, she's on my newsfeed. And I looked mm -hmm. her up and I thought, how is it that I never met her? She's my peer. She's an African-American. She's a mother. She's out there going from campus to campus. She taught at Naropa. She's here. She's got these dress. She's got this look about her. How is it that we were never brought together, you know, to do a reading? So that was sort of, you know, that took me aback. And so I read more about her and I ordered um, uh, her very slim volume of poems that was uh, published by a coffee table um, coffee table, coffee house press. And, um, and I also discovered that she was the mother of a son that she had raised. And her son had also done graffiti, which she disapproved of as I had also disapproved of with my son. And, but her son at 21 years old, who's an African-American young man is in Los Angeles and is out there painting or doing something one day and he gets a stomach ache and he's taken by his friends to the Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital and um, is put on a gurney and is left there in emergency and he dies. And so a few years later, you know, she writes these poems, but just a few years later, a handful of years later, one afternoon in her living room by herself, she drops dead of cardiac arrest. And I'm convinced she died of, of heartache. I, I'm convinced she died of a broken heart. I have no doubt. And that's what, you know, what, hearing that story, I ordered her book. Um, I, I really enjoyed her poetry. She has been an inspiration to, you know, to that poem and other poems. And I bought, um, I ordered a, a copy from Marcelo and sent it to him as well. And he fell in love with her poetry and wrote some poems also. We had that connection with each other. So, so um, uh, you know, the, the theme of mother and racism, which began to then, of course, surface as it did in the last years, um, the Black Lives Movement, um, you know, all the other, I mean, going as far back as I can remember uh, of having any consciousness about race in Chicago, um, which was always, and um, to the present was just, you know, flooding. Uh, but the, what was taking precedent a great deal are, the, are these things that I obviously I connect to in a very personal way. Yeah, well, it certainly drew us in in a really personal way too, is we're really thinking um, on the verge of them becoming boys or not babies, you know, what what um, what our conversations will be with them, how much. So we, we wanna make sure we have time for all of the, our friends in here to ask some questions, but we do have one more um, and we're trying to decide between a death question <laughs> or a wisdom question <laughs> in the chat. We're like, what do we ask? I would love to, is it okay? I would love to ask, you know, you, you, you have so much, so much wisdom in this book. 
so much of um, an experience of, of your life and your, your, the skills and the knowledge that you've gained. And um, we wanted to ask what, like what words of, I think the word is coming to mind is hope or what words of perseverance you know, you give us um, in this moment. Of course, I I think of um, I think of your poem. These times when you say, "Look at me, I am alive, and I stand and stand before you." Um, and also uh, an, another poem on uh, Amazonia está quemando. You know, like where you say. Um, that I am the only grandmother there. I am chief of my people. Um, I will learn to write and speak for the butterfly to those who set fires and to the ones who may help save our home. I say you say this, of course the narrator says this, but is this, is this you talking? And are these some of what you're leaving us with? I'm glad you asked me that because actually that is an actual woman chief uh, in the Amazon, and I read an article about her. I was looking up about this whole thing with Bolsonaro, blah, 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 the denying it, oh no, those are lies, you know, all that. And I found this article about this woman, and you know, she's probably younger than I am, but she says she's the grandmother, and she is a woman chief in the Amazon. So along with all the animals and the creatures and the healing medicine and everything else and the oxygen that we're losing with the Amazon, Obviously, all the indigenous people are also being killed, <laughs> who are also being uh, 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 exterminated. Is it bedtime? <laughs> so, uh, so she, said, she actually says that she says, um, I, she, she's going, I just took, I've, I've written these persona poem, poems before. Uh, where the, the story really strikes, strikes me and I, I put it into verse, but she actually says, I'm going to learn how to read and write so that she can go and address people. She doesn't speak Portuguese and she does, certainly doesn't write, but she's going to, as the chief, is you know that's her leadership role to go out there and 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 um, not all, you know it's not just to go out and and put the word out, but to to uh, aspire for allies, for people who can help them, you know, who will stop this. Uh, we know we are aware, those of us with consciousness, that, you know, this is a, a, a travesty and a tragedy for all the earth, for humankind. But of course, you know, greed takes precedence in these decisions. So I think she is a really wonderful example of, of what you're asking me. And that is, you know, when you think about this woman, who lives in the Amazon, who has had no uh, other communication skills except amongst her small group, who are being exterminated, literally exterminated, um, and she still has the courage and the perseverance and the desire and the aspiration um, to, 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 uh, to, to cross over uh, places that are far from uncomfortable, they're, they're unheard of, they're, they're forbidden, you know, this learning, it's like us sitting down and saying, well, tomorrow we're going to go out and start studying Russian or Arabic or Greek or Cantonese or something so that, you know, in six months we can go out and address them because they're burning our, our land here. Well, that's what she's doing. 
and um, you know she, you know it's a it's a whole cultural uh, um, uh, change for her to go and get dressed up and can imagine how much it is for somebody to make that decision but your life is dependent on it your people are dependent on it and I think this is how we we are those of us who are committed to activism of some form uh, we do feel that we feel your life is dependent of course it is of course we as individuals can't save the world somebody like her who's probably in a way is saving the world but for most of us you know we we have to pick and choose the things that we feel most passionate about, or we will very quickly be burned out, uh, become cynical, um, or destroyed. And all of those are very real uh, possibilities, and they've happened to a lot of people. I wrote about that in the Black Panther's poem, which is 50 years later, how many people fall on the wayside, how many people were killed, and how many people uh, just said, forget it, that was my youth, I'd rather have a nice house and a nice car, you know, whatever it is, we're somehow or other we just can't do it. You can't do all of it. You can do something and then be mindful of the rest, take it from me. You know, you drive yourself crazy if you start with, you know, everything is connected and everything is, is uh, uh, you know, being usurped by uh, corporate greed or, or as I felt in the last uh, few years, corporate fascism. Um, uh, so if you do that, that's enough for you. You have to have your energy to put that little boy to bed when he needs you, not to make you feel guilty <laughs> that he's there. <laughs> I, 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 mind, I still had to tell him, he's almost 40, and I just had to say, look, I got it. Don't bother me anymore. <laughs> he's still sitting, oh, yeah, what are you doing? Um, so um, you know, it, whatever it is that you decide that you have the passion to carry it through, that's enough for you. So you need the energy for yourself so you can put him to bed, so you can take a hot bath yourself, so you can go back to your reading, uh, uh, do a few notes, get some good sleep, get up tomorrow morning and start, uh, start all over again every day. It'll be like that forever. And I feel that what happened in my case, it's, it's happened many, many times in cycles over the years. What happened in my case over the last few years is I, I hit that low point where I felt everything I had written and everything I had thought and everything I had believed had come to this inevitably. And I had to have a talk with myself and say, well, like in that poem, these times I had to say, you've come too far to turn back now. So you're just gonna finish it through now, you know, because I mean, th this is this will not do. You cannot just like die in the middle of the river and say, I give up, you gotta keep going. So I, I had that talk with myself and I decided to finish this book of poems. I've come gone back to my writing. Um, I, I'm doing things that I, you know, for myself as well as for my family. and. And as much as I can to to make connections with people and and move forward, knowing in the back of my mind, like the chief uh, chief woman in the Amazon, that I feel the flames. I know that. I know that perhaps I'll, I you know I may not live to see when they when it takes over, or maybe I won't live to see when we put it out. You know. Uh, when you know our our children are able to do something, I don't know. But right now, I know that 
this is something that I have committed myself to and I'll see it through. And, you know, that poem in these times, I was invited to, um, to participate um, in the inauguration ceremony of the new president at the State University that I graduated from with my BA in Chicago. And that new president was an African-American woman and the mother of two sons. I didn't know her personally. I was just invited to come and, and to celebrate. They asked me to read a poem. Now, you know, I've just writ written Akila Oliver's poem and the Trayvon Martin poem. It's like, I was looking for something, but it's not exactly like celebratory material. It's relevant, but it's not something to celebrate this woman's achievement that she is going to now run this university. And when I went to, it was all white men and they were, you know, they were prejudiced and racist and there was nothing to do about it and sexist. So when I read the poem on stage, uh, she was sitting right behind me. Everybody's in the regalia. We're out there sweating in the sun. And uh, when I finished reading it, she jumped up and threw her arms around me. And I was so relieved and happy. And she's, I had not met her before. And afterwards, when I met her, she said, you know, when you were reading that poem, I was thinking to myself, where is this going? <laughs> it was like, you know, like it didn't sound like that hopeful to her. But then all of a sudden, like her and the whole gospel group that she had had there, they all jumped up. Everybody got happy. It's like at that point, look at me, you know, if I can do it, why can't everybody else in this place do it? You know, and so so that's that's the best that I can say at this time. And that's what I'm hoping some of these poems are able to do for other people as well. Yeah, I, I think we so much appreciate that because, you know, I felt in reading some of these, especially the one I love how you refer to, I call him Voldemort without really <laughs> saying his name. Right. Um, so there was a sense of urgency, I felt in a lot of these poems and urgency can often lead to burnout. And like you said, uh, cynicism. So it's so um, I think a lot of us really appreciate when you when you say I, I always say it's discernment, right? Like, how can we be discerning about how we're spending our time? Because um, as I like I have said, too, is white supremacy is banking on us burning out. Right. And that's the whole point. It wants us to to die fighting. Um, and I think to to be able to just not have to save the world, but to just do our part can be such a big relief, right? I know uh, Stephanie said she needed to hear that tonight because she was putting her babies to bed, right? And, and we all have to, a lot of us with young kids, you know, it's it's finding that balance um, that, that can be very difficult. So it's so, it's like a relief to say, okay, we don't have to do it all and we can do just a little bit. And it's about the, the commitment, you know, the staying in it. Um, for the long run. So we're really appreciative of that message. And I think we want to open up some, some questions. Um, I know we have some people, uh, Salisa or Maria, do we have questions or do we want to just let them? We I do. Have... Oh, I was going to say maybe whoever wants to, um, I know Salisa has a question that came to her, but we have um, Analilia who would like to share. Yeah, Ana Linda, you can go ahead and. Um... I'm sorry, Ana Linda. <laughs> uh, hola, Ana. Um, 
excuse me, I think I've had a crush on you for about 20 years. <laughs> I had mentioned uh, the Mishkuihala letters earlier. <laughs> it might have been 1997 when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley when I first read the Mixquihala letters and I had to write my essay on it because I had to explore love and friendship and I feel like even before the language uh, fluid gender even before the language came up I felt like that book validated the fluidity that I had always experienced in terms of sexuality so I fell in love the book with the book I think in 1997 and I think not a year goes by, maybe for the past five or six years, that I don't teach it in at least one of my classes. So that's always been such a big book. Yes, yes. It's so relevant. It's a lot to me. Yeah. So let's see, I had put together a few reflections and comments, but I'm gonna limit myself to just one and then offer you a question. <laughs> okay. Okay, so um, I am your audience, so I feel so much of your work. I have a an 11 year old and a 13 year old, soon to be 12 and 14. And then the lines where you talk about, don't leave, don't leave me mother uh, without a son. So I feel, I feel those poems so much. But um, before the poems, I think I might've spent um, just as much time reflecting on the drawings that you included in the book. Uh, the first drawing actually, inspired me. I was sitting down to read, but I was so captured by the, the first drawing that you had that I ended up writing some poetry, um, having that oh. serpent wrapped around her. Yeah. So for me, I was seeing, um, I think I wrote it down here. I was imagining a woman who dances with serpents, right? Following, then leading. She confronts fear and draws out her power. She's just in this beautiful stance, right? But at the same time, it had me thinking so much about trauma right, and thinking about psychology and thinking about fight or flee or freeze or freeze in a moment. And then the movement, something about it just really pulled me into deep reflection. Not only that one, but many of the other drawings too. So thank you for thank including you. those drawings. Thank you. Ah, I love them, the last yeah. No, I appreciate that. No, I, uh, that, I, I've, got, I've got many hundreds of drawings uh, uh, that I've uh, been doing um, for, med for, for meditative purposes, for staying, for, for, to stay sane. Um, and when I actually thought in, um, by 2017, I'd become so depressed that I, that's all I was doing was doing drawings one after the next, every day, every day, every day. I have like hundreds of uh, portfolios now of different size of line drawings. And they're freehand, so whatever happens with the you know with the pen is what I do. So instead of speaking, I was I was drawing. So your interpretation of the drawings and your poetic interpretation is very beautiful and thoughtful because I I don't know what you know when I when I start drawing I don't really um, I don't have any plan. There's no drawing before that or a sketch. It's it, it is what it is, and so uh, so that's a very beautiful interpretation of 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 that woman yeah I found it to be as healing and as empowering as some of your poems in there so I really thank you for those drawings um I love the humor at the same time I don't know if everybody saw humor in there but your poem about the writing process for me it was just frank or it made me laugh it made me think about 
um, the writing process as being something like holding the mop, killing the roaches, something <laughs> that needs to be done. I just, I really enjoyed that. Um, the moon and the sun, thinking about reminders of maintaining and nurturing the spaces, the people in the spaces, the living beings. So that was kind of really nice, fresh, uh, frank and funny um, way to think about Thank the writing you. process. I enjoyed that. Thank <laughs> that you. Nice yeah, I'm glad you appreciate it. It's hard to be funny in, in, in <laughs> poetry. And so, yeah. so I do try because we need a little levity you know, there. So I included that one. One of my favorites is uh, Two Men and Me. Um, I did, uh, along with my son, long distance, uh, he asked me to, uh, to, to read along with Bukowski. I read Bukowski many, many years ago when he was still alive. I read all his poetry. So I started reading all his fiction. And I also fell in love with the writing of Bolaño that, um, that summer. But you know, they were both terrible men and pert in real life. And so, um, so I enjoy that poem too. It's like, how do you, it's a question I think we all ask, how do we, how do we separate uh, the male artist or the male writer mm. or the white writer from, you know, from who they were or are their privilege or their behavior from the work that we have admired or appreciate. And so it's sort of like that, like I thought, well, we're all gonna go to hell. We'll probably meet in hell. And something like that will still happen when I'm if I were to meet them. So anyway, so thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And the quick question that I have for you too. Yeah, I enjoyed that one too. I imagined you kind of sitting in a chair watching these big egos just kind of fight themselves to the point where they're even freezing in hell. So or creating resistance <laughs> and ice in hell. Um, so I can I enjoyed those moments. Um, the quick question or the question is um in algo de ti. Um it had me um when I wrote poetry um, a while ago, or um, sometimes writing in Spanish within like a US English context is more freeing. And then thinking about loving women and its own marginalization, right? So I was thinking, was it easier to write about loving women in Spanish because it's kind of this other, not transgressive space, but it's just like a different space than English? It's a good question because I've heard, um, and I haven't heard it for a long time, but I've heard Chicanas, um, uh, uh, lesbian identified Chicanas specifically who have made that comment, who have said, you know, that they, it's like it comes from a place inside them or they go back to their roots or it's more mm -hmm. confidential, quiet, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's true for me because as you see in the other poems are about other things like the Parkland High School poem. Um, I made a decision many, 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 many years ago when I started writing poetry um, to, um, in, uh, because I'm born and raised in this country and I'm addressing this country and it was prior to bilingual education to make the, the, the primary language of my writing would be English. But I do allow myself to write Spanish sometimes I do use Spanish like many of us do every day in my everyday life. And um, the poems that I wrote in Spanish, maybe they came because um, where I was at at the time, maybe they came because I like the, the, the poem, Las Gotas Cayen en el Techo, Sobre el Techo. I wrote that I was in Santa Fe um, that, uh, that night, that day. It was Ash Wednesday. 
you know, it was this pallor. I went to mass. It was the only brown people in Santa Fe were like 200 that went to mass. And, you know, like here they all are. And so, I mean, I think the language was Spanish for me then. So there's different factors why um, sometimes it's the language that you might speak to that person that would be truer. For example, if you're writing a, a, a poem for a relative in Mexico, you might say, well, it would be truer for me to, to write to that person, to write about that person in Spanish. These are the things I remember. So I, I think that's that was really the, the motivating factor for me was that was the language that I would have used about that muse, you know, that I that I speak with uh, with that person with. And that makes sense. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, Anna Linda, for that question and all those reflections. Uh, do we have where's Mireya and Salisa? Do I'm we have right other, yeah, do we have other questions that came in? Yes, we have a question and then a hand raise. <clears throat> so in the book, there are multi-levels of grief that the reader can associate, embody emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. How did you confront recover after writing the book or perhaps each or perhaps each poem all, from all the grief? Well, I decided in 2012 that I would um, embark on a new collection of poems. Um, the book has come out uh, this year, 2021. Um, at that time, I told myself um, that it would take me 10 years to write a solid collection of poetry. And I don't know where I got that idea from. I thought that that's how long it took me. But I, as I think about it, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but it, all, but it did become almost true. So number one, one of the reasons is because those poems were written over a long span of time. As I've mentioned, the Aquila poem, Aquila Oliver poem, 2011, 2012, um, uh, the A Storm Upon Us, the leading poem comes at 2015. So it's a long period of time. So I have time between those poems that are in this book uh, with some of some of the more recent deaths, more recent in the last few years before the poem, the book comes out. Um, I, I appreciate the question because um, obviously uh, I put a lot of myself into it. To, I, I, I identify with the persona poems. I identify with individuals that I've never met, like Akila Oliver. I, I'll put myself, you know, and the storm upon us was when um, John Trudell passed away, whom I never had the uh, opportunity um, to meet, but I admired um, and it, it inspired me to write that poem. That was part of my releasing the grief of he's, you know, he's crossed over at that time. Um, so um, it, it does, it takes a lot. It's all, it, it is true that it's almost, almost cathartic to write. It becomes, a part of that process and the and the and the and the uh, and, and the healing comes also with rewriting because first thing is to write your thoughts and your feelings and your rants you know like you just want to go off uh, uh, sometimes but that's not necessarily a poem or a good poem and so you have to go over it again and again and I have to find the rhythm I have to find the language. Uh, it seems very easy. None of those poems were easily written. And so all of that is part of the process of, of then every time it's like a, if, if I'm mourning somebody or something, it's like going back to that picture, going back to that moment. And every time is just a little bit easier. And the more I work on it, 
uh, it's also honoring that subject because I want it to be right. I want to honor that subject. I want to honor this, this person uh, if, if it's a poem about someone. I just don't want people to know that a friend died and I, I wrote something in the middle of the night, I'm gonna put it in my book. I really want it to be a, a, a fine piece of writing. So all of that comes together and, um, and is, uh, is, it's like building an altar in a way. Now, when I have to read it, when I'm in front of an audience or I, I have to read it in, in front of a microphone, I feel it again. So it, the, the grief isn't completely gone ever. And, uh, and I put myself back in that place again. And so, you know, reading the poem for Akilah Oliver, I have done it, I uh, read it out loud and it's very hard. It's hard for the audience, it's hard for me. Uh, and one day I'll be able to read it and get through it a little easier and a little easier, but it's still something that I connect with. So, um, you know, I think that the, the, I just wanna say something that I've been thinking about because I've been asked about this in previous podcasts about healing and how, do, how does one heal? And what I feel is that we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and using this term healing, it, to me, it's like being right in the middle of a train wreck and the train is derailed and we're all on this train and we have no idea where our bodies are going to land, who's going to survive, who's not going to survive, what's going to happen after that. And we're already, to me, talking about healing is like trying to get a prognosis when you don't even know what's going to happen. So mm -hmm. you have to wait till you land. And once you land, you have to wait till they come and carry you away and then they assess you and then there's going to be a prognosis. And then, then later on afterwards, perhaps if you give it time, if you follow everything, the healing begins. So we can't be hard on ourselves saying, well, I did this. Well, I do this. Well, I go and I do yoga and I don't know why I can't heal from this. I've been in therapy for five years and I still can't get over this. Well, it doesn't work that way. You're still in the middle of it. If you feel that you can't heal from, you know, from racism, no matter what you do, it's because every damn day you are stepping out the door or dealing with people and you're being accosted in some way every day. So how do you, how do you heal a wound when every day somebody's throwing salt on it or cutting it open again? That this is what I, I, how I feel when people say, you know, how do you heal from this? Well, writing the poems is one part of it, but it's not the entire a grieving process or the entire medicine for healing loss. And we've all felt, I think everyone has felt some loss in the last five years from so much um, that's happened. Uh, natural catastrophes due to glo global climate change, uh, the pandemic, obviously, and this administration that, you know, let, you know, Pandora's box open with so much hatred. Mm -hmm. um, uh, against all of us. So everybody's felt it. And we've all lost somebody personally. We've all experienced illness personally or somebody close to us, so on and so forth. So how are we talking about healing every day, putting that out pressure on ourselves when we're still in the middle of it? So all you can do is do these kinds of things to alleviate it, to have to renew your strength and your courage and your, your, your beliefs to move forward. But you can't say to your, you can't be hard on yourself and say, well, I should be stronger than that. You know, I'm so smart. I'm so intelligent. I figure all these things out. And why can't I move forward? Well, you can't because you're being accosted. Your loved ones are being accosted and your world 
and the things that are beautiful are being accosted. So even if you have a great day, a great night, which you should allow yourself, uh, other people around you, you'll hear about it tomorrow or another day, uh, didn't have such a great day. So we have to be, we really have to be a, a lot kinder to ourselves about that as far as the healing uh, aspect goes. Mm. Thank you. I had asked that question, Ayana, and uh, I needed to hear that. Thank you so much. Um, and I wanted to make a quick comment, okay, with what you just said in that question, in response yes. to the, the picture that we just talked about. You mentioned right now something so beautiful and poetic that it's you're building an altar as you're, we're going through this grief. And in your picture, in your art, you have a lot of weaves, like weaving through. And it's like we're weaving in and out of grief all the time. And, you know, building that kind of altar that you're, at the same time, this grief with the weaving, we're, we're making connections and, and it didn't click on me until you just kind of explained your process of through the grief, we're making connections as well. And it's a healing process where you're going to get into an end date, like a finish, you know, uh, finish the race kind of thing and be healed. Um, so thank you for that. I just want, I just wanted to say that. I appreciate all that. Well, thank you for, for acknowledging that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have Genesis. Thank you for waiting patiently. Genesis. Hi, uh, my name is Genesis. And I this is the first time I've ever joined a book club. This is the first time that I've ever heard of you. <laughs> uh, so this is very exciting for me. Um, I, I just I this is a brand new space for me and I'm very excited to be in it. Um, so I practice as an immigration attorney and um, a lot of the work that I do is asylum work right now. And we asylum, defending asylum cases and clients is very heavy, heavy work. And you tackle a lot of heavy topics. Um, and I kind of wanted to like pick your brain in terms of writing techniques, because sometimes I find myself writing a legal brief and the case is just so uh, graphic and hurtful and just uh, heavy on on my spirit and I wonder how is it that you get over the difficulty of writing such heavy material well it's kind of what I do just like what she do. it's like I if I don't if I didn't do that I probably wouldn't be writing because I did decide as a teenager that that um, that that would be a form of my activism and and it was an activism it was activism even in the sense that there was no other brown girls in Chicago at that time doing that nobody else was saying those things and so that void that space that bridge has been left to us to do when you were speaking, and I'd like to just put this out to everybody, um, I've agreed to do, um, a it's kind of a healing writing workshop for an organization in the Bronx, it's called Latina 50 Plus. But these, you know, the group, the women that go to this, in addition to being Latina and being 50, are all diehard activists, maestras, teachers that, you know, that, that go every year participate with this. So um, I'm going to be um, starting to announce it. Uh, it benefits them. I think it, they're asking for like a $45 donation to the organization there, but it's the first time that I'm gonna give this particular writing workshop via Zoom and, and maybe the last time that I'm going to do it, but it's really addressing what's been going on for all of us and how do we kind of hold, our, hold ourselves together through writing, 
And so, so it's kind of right. I think I had initially said it was going to be called something like writing through grief or something, writing through loss. So I'd like to extend that invitation to you. Um, uh, if you're, if we're not friends on Facebook, you know, please find me there. I'm on Instagram, come to my website. I'm going to be posting it and posting it because I would love to share um, some of those techniques as you are calling them. So you can do that um, yourself and you can, um, hopefully uh, find a way to write some of the things that you're left, you're left with at the end of the day that you can't express to other people because you're, you're busy being the leader and the spokesperson for other people. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Genesis, for that question. I think we're, we're going to kind of wrap up, but I did want to ask one last question um, because I feel like you know, the, the name of the book is my book of the dead. I feel it's, it's timely that it's coming out in the fall. Dia de los Muertos is coming up. Um, and so it's the time, it's the time in the year that we're really, you know, we're really dealing with death face to face. And in reading the, the poems, it felt like you were uh, engaging with different ideas of death, right? Death and rebirth environmental death right real death and I think I just wanted to ask you to speak to that a little bit of how the different ways that you're engaging with death and how you are sort of defining that of like who is the dead you know when you say the book of the dead like what does that mean you know I think that um those of us who subscribe to the teachings of our of our ancestors and have different views pre-Christian, pre-Catholic views. Um, I think that we, and this is where the, the title poem comes, where I have um, actually taken from um, the journeys that were left to us that were, were believed to be for everyone after they die. They believe that we went through nine um, hells and these are representative of the nine months that we incubated in our mother's womb before we are released to, to paradise. Um, we have different uh, views of, of it. We uh, are seeing our planet also, you know, on fire, um, predicted by, um, again, by our ancestors many centuries ago. Um, and yet, you know, it's the nature, it's the Buddhist nature to never, uh, to, not re- to, to, to try to survive, to continue to live, you know, as, as, as a frog, you know, reaches for the fly and the snake is about to eat the frog. So it's kind of like that where we're, we, even when we're about to die, we're still trying to live and, and taking something else with us and we continue. So all the, all the, all the theories of life after death, ultimately, in, in my view, we, we know that there is life after death, some form of life, something is going to transpire, but we are living in a time in which like it or not, regardless of your beliefs, we are seeing a lot of destruction, we are experiencing loss. And again, I think the question uh, came to me in, in, in putting the collection together, is I can't just put that out and say, this is the apocalypse, everybody run, you know, <laughs> for the hills and that's it. You know, I have to believe, I had to bring myself back, really, you know, my own spirit. I was, I, I felt so, so beaten 
spiritually and emotionally, I had given up writing. I had decided I'm not going to write anymore. That's where the drawings took took over. I have, like I said, I did every day after day after day after day. That's all I did was draw. But I felt that at some point I've I have come too far and I have to deliver a message. And what is that message? So at the end of the book, the message is the God spit her back out and say, not so fast, lady. You know, he went through all after everything you've been through. We know we get it. All those are the things that our ancestors believe that we actually are going to face after we die, by the way. Um, you have to go back because you have more work to do. And I think that for me is the ultimate message is that as long as we have strength and we have some, we have our, our hearts, we have enough courage to go back. And what she does is she goes back to the seashore to, to, to the, you know, to life, um, symbolic of life and um, to her loved ones who are waiting for her to join them again. They're not ready to let her go. She's not ready to let them go because we have to continue as long as we can. And so I think that's that's the best answer that I can give. I struggle with it. Um, I struggle with the poems. I struggle with the, the message and I struggle with the writing that I'm doing and the, and the world that I live in every day. When I see other writers and poets and I wonder what brings them to their themes, I was thinking like, well, good for them that they're writing a historical novel when the world's about to end. You know, I, I would ask myself, like, who, who has the energy to do that? You know, are they just living, you know, oblivious to what's actually going on? So and now it's like, well, OK, I can see that. This is what they felt was be their testament, their testimony. So so without being too harsh on what, again, what other people are doing or not doing, we can only pick up what we have to do. And that's that's, again, the. The poem these times where the woman says I may not have made this mess but I'll come and clean it up and you decide what you're going to clean up it's not going to be everything you don't have to do everything you just have to do enough for yourself uh, to to know you have the energy to continue this feels so affirming in the work Renee's text and messaging me she's like I feel so affirmed we feel so affirmed and and that's well, nice. <laughs> and I, I want to thank all of you no, the same thing, Christina Rose. It's so lovely to see you after these years and and um, to see everybody. And and um, I want to just, um, I, I know you have to, I'll wrap it up. So I'll, I'll wrap it up as well. Thank you for reading my poems. And I wish you um, all the, the courage and the energy and the heart that you need to keep going. I believe you will. I'm grateful for all of you who are out there. You are my readers. Um, you've always been, um, Chicanas and Latinas have always been our champions in our work. We have to continue, all of us, you know, work on this together. So uh, believe, uh, believe me when I say that I'm there with you and uh, believe me when I say I know you're, you're here with me. And I, I hope that um, here or there, however we can during these times, we get to cross each other's paths one more time. Right, you've been so generous with your time. I'm like, next time in Chimayo again, I guess. That's- uh... Okay, we'll, we'll <laughs> see whether, you know, the, these days are not letting too many people get together. So unfortunately, this is this is the, you know, the new way we can see each other, but it's good to know that that they this this too has not, has not brought us down. Yeah, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you so well, much. Good luck. Happy <laughs> reading, everyone. Gracias. Gracias. I think we, I think we wanted to get a picture maybe before. Oh we yes, we yeah. wanted a picture. I Didi was like, "Let me get a picture." If Can we, you do a sketch 
screenshot of the of the screen. Okay. I can do. I can. I can take a picture of my phone and take a, a screenshot. But let me see. Okay. I'll take the. I'll take the screenshot. Okay. I have I'll an ebook, so I'm just gonna put in your other book. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me. Did you get the screenshot, Salisa? I'm gonna take one with my phone, but. You can take with your phone. I'm opening it to big screen and with everyone. But you okay. take a. Are we phone. ready? And one, two, three. All right, and then ready, ready one more time. Una vez más. One, one more time, one more time. Okay. One, two, three. Oh. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, it gave me a great idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that, about the Book of the Dead with the Dia de los Muertos and see maybe I could put something on um, virtually for building an altar, doing something like that. So oh. that we're all, we're all together. Yeah. Um, might there, um, Anna, hi, I'm one of the moderators and I just wanted to say thank you for, for joining us and for reaching out to yeah. Las Doctoras. Um, I, I know that you, you have a time limit and I was really hoping maybe you could read one of your poems, um, to us before you sign off. If it's not you too much. Cry, so you want to cry before it. <laughs> but if you have to go, if you have to go. I'll read a poem, but, not, but you're going to choose it. I'll read a poem because I'm not going to be responsible for anybody. <laughs> um, Renee, um, I was looking at that first one that she mentioned that we were also mentioning. Um, the, the, the very first one. The um, very, very first the one, the introduction. Us. Storm yeah, upon Storm us. Upon us. Yeah. Does that feel, yeah, that's does that feel okay, Anna? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Storm Upon Us. That's the poem in memory of John Trudell. You ready? Yes. Yes. A storm is coming. It is on the horizon. It has traveled far, fast, wide, and taken much in tow, the storm, infused with lies and nitrogen, water, air, ground, infused, our fruits and animals infused our minds infused with lies and nitrogen. We're dumbstruck, believe ourselves smart when we are instead confused. The tricksters counted on our being caught unawares. They knew our selfishness, greed, most of all fears. The storm approaches, can you hear it? 999 hoof-like vibrations beat against our eardrums and we remain indifferent. We have our things gathered. Our children seem fine. We always rebound. The storm comes and goes, returns, next time harder. We don't even bother with shelters. We give it new names. Each time, further fire and rain, we mourn. We start again. It could have been you or me, we say, dying in public beneath a baton's blows falling amid the spray of a sniper's bullets, but it wasn't, we go on. Disaster has happened to someone else. We venture out and buy more, we take more, we discard, we pillage the earth. The storms take sinister forms, go by isms, neo and post hyphenations, be afraid, Leaders of the faceless enemy war, beware, be aware. When you travel, we cannot protect you. We will be vigilant of your whereabouts. 
Our watchful eye will know your life. Long lines to survive, much less thrive, lie before you. You'll feel shame like in naked dreams, but worse because we in fact are watching you. We will make sure you don't question. And when the storm is upon you, when it has destroyed your homes and your children are not fine, and your dreams of golden roses and bright days are nowhere but in the pages of a storybook, we will be content in our heavens, eating peeled grapes, sipping fine wines from our vineyards of abundance, sitting on our thrones, new gods, will smile down upon you, our creation of ruin, pick our teeth with your bones. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. <sighs> thank you so much, Anna. It means so much for you for us for you to be here. Well, thank you. I mm. wish you all a good night and, and much luck to you. Don't forget about Dios de, lo, de los Muertos. I'll see if I could do something online. I'll try to post something. We'll do something to get our candles together, send up our incense, our prayers, our kopal. Anyway, bye. 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 Bye.